to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is my friend and colleague, Brent Marchant. Brent is a movie reviewer and author, and in his own way, a profound spiritual teacher. He has combined his twin passions of metaphysics and movies in his books, Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction. Today, we are going to discuss his new book, Third Real, that's spelled R-E-A-L, Conscious Creation Goes Back to the Movies. Hi, Brent. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Hi, Miriam. Thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) You know, I realized that I have never asked you what led you onto the path that you're on. (laughs) Well, that's actually an interesting story. Um, I've been a, a lifelong fan of movies, and for many, many years, just in like everyday conversation when I'd be talking to people, if I needed to make a particular point, I would very often reference movies either for scenes or lines to say, you know, that reminds me of such and such. <clears throat> and when I would do that, invariably, the, the point would get across clearly so that people understood where I was coming from. Well, in addition to being a lifelong movie fan, I've also been a longtime student of metaphysics. And when I became very interested in the conscious creation or law of attraction material, uh, I was initially explaining it to people in somewhat theoretical or philosophical terms. And I would often get blank stares looking me back in the face. (laughs) (laughs) They sort of looked like, you know, cows staring at a passing train or deers in the headlight, you know, something like that. So... I decided I needed to come up with a better way of explaining how these principles work. And then I thought, you know, you've always used movies to rely on for other situations. Why not do it here? So I started doing that. Excuse me. And before you know it, uh, people were getting it left and right. So that really is how the combination was born. And it started out with an article in a magazine many years ago and then grew into um, three books blogs and a number of other writings. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. And I, I guess it, it gives you and them a shared frame of reference that they can then say, oh, yeah, I, uh, now I get it. Oh, it certainly does. And, and, you know, it's interesting when you look throughout history to a number of the major religious, spiritual, metaphysical, philosophical works, those books often drew upon the power of story as a means for conveying their points. So, you know, why should that be any different now when it comes to explaining the principles of conscious creation or law of attraction? Um, I like the movies in particular for that because not only do you get the impact of the story, but you also have the visuals and the sound and the special effects and everything, which really enhances the material and I think drives it home with even greater clarity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, the storyteller in tribal society is a much revered member of the community. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the, uh, the movies do the same role today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So your core theme, really, is uh, conscious creation yes. slash the law of attraction. Um, yeah. What's the difference between the two? Well, the basic difference is, is really pretty, pretty minor, I would say. Um, conscious creation is the notion that 
you create or manifest the reality that you experience through the power of your thoughts, beliefs, and intents in combination with our divine collaborator who provides the juice for making it happen. The law of attraction in many ways is very much the same sort of thing, but to me there's a very subtle distinction between the two in that conscious creation I think is more of a proactive process on the part of the person who is making use of it, whereas the law of attraction to me is a bit more, I'll sit back and wait for it to show up. Um, it's kind of a, like I say, a minor distinction between the two. Personally, I prefer conscious creation because it, it implies that the person who's engaging in it is more directly involved in terms of making things happen that they want to see happen. Um, but, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other in many ways. Maybe you could say that it's the difference between conscious creation and unconscious creation. Well, unconscious creation is, to me, something somewhat different. Um, unconscious creation, to me, is a, a practice where you are more focused exclusively on the result and really don't care what happens in terms of the way you, how, how you get there. Um, as a result, you may end up um, bringing along a lot of unintended side effects that mm -hmm. you know, uh, may not match your original intent. Uh, that may have consequences for others who are in some way or another connected or associated with the process. And that can be disillusioning, disappointing. Sometimes you may even get exactly what you want, but then find fallout coming along later that you're saying, gee, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the old caveat, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and actually in conscious creation, to me, it, it's also a case of, be responsible for what you ask for as well. Yeah. Well, also in the law of attraction or any of these mechanisms, which we could go into in a little more detail, um, people tend to forget that what they focus on is what they are attracting. And so if you're focusing on the sense of lack or negative or anger or hurt, you're perpetuating that. Absolutely. So that's really what I meant by, by the uh, unconscious uh, way that it works. Yes, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, so many times I'll hear people say that they feel like they have a cloud hanging over them. Well, guess what? They're mm -hmm. going to continue to have a cloud hanging over them if yeah. they keep putting out those kinds of beliefs. Yeah. Where did this, uh, I guess, uh, modern-day... Uh, somewhere between obsession and recognition um, with the law of attraction uh, arise, do you think? Well, it had a, a major um, jumpstart back about 12 years ago with the release of the DVD, The Secret. Um, <clears throat> there had always been a certain number of people who were interested in these materials throughout the years before that, particularly the followers of the writings of Jane Roberts. But it was sort of on the, uh, the fringe in many ways. Um, people who uh, had took a very direct interest in this but wasn't really part of mainstream culture. When The Secret came along, um, it really jump-started things in a big way because suddenly the average everyday citizen who maybe had never given a second thought to these notions began to look at it and say, wow, that's really that's really interesting. That's really empowering. That's something I could really use in my life. And suddenly then 
the whole notion really took off. Um, so that's really how it got to be really popular, I would say, over the past you know, decade or so. But in, in many ways, it, the roots of these concepts can be traced back to ancient times. There's really nothing new about it. In many ways, if you look at the practice, say, of alchemy, I mean, this is a, a millennial old concept that has to do with the idea of what you put in is what you get out. And, um, you know, I think now it's, it's been taking sort of a, a modern reshaping in recent years so that people can understand it and put it into a more contemporary context to fit their current conditions. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing that's really terribly new, but it's going through constant um, tweaking and renovation to suit the conditions at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember reading about the witch doctors in Africa, you know, in the last century who would put a curse on someone and tell them that you are going to die and the people would just wander into the jungle and die. Yeah. I mean, that really is the power of your subconscious mind, which, by the way, is the title of uh, really quite a seminal book by Joseph Murphy. He was one of these kind of new thought uh, people, Joseph Murphy, Napoleon Hill, um, you know, the whole new thought movement very much advocated um, uh, the power of uh, consciousness. Well, it certainly is, is formidable. I mean, so many times when people are using the process in an effective way, they'll, they'll come away from the results astounded, saying, I didn't know I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> In fact, um, <clears throat> one of my favorite quotes, I, I believe I mentioned it in the book, is uh, from Marianne Williamson, who says that our greatest fear is not that we lack power, but that we're more powerful than we imagine. Yeah. Isn't that um, just so typical of humanity? You know, you want power, and then when you get it, you just don't know what to do with it. Exactly. It's, it's very frightening because all of a sudden you realize I can bring about things that I have never been able to bring about before. Mm-hmm. And that can be very intimidating. It can be very scary. Um, and in a way, I think that's, that's sort of a good thing because it sort of puts brakes on our ability to misuse it. Would that were so? We still seem yeah. to be able to. Well, not everybody's learned it, but <laughs> but I think I think for the vast majority of us, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's part of the reason I think why some of these things maybe haven't happened with um, greater ease or greater speed maybe in the past because we've had that sort of breaking mechanism kind of built into our psyche. I mean, it could very well be that maybe in our past um, we went through experiences where we abused it or used it for, you know, bad purposes. Uh-huh. And we, we subconsciously told ourselves we're not going to do that again. Ah, the old days, other past lives when we were witches and wizards, I guess. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> or even if you, if you go into, you know, uh, mythological considerations, say like the time of Atlantis or things like that, where, you know, it's believed that some of these uh, conditions were, were misused for, mm-hmm. you know, illicit purposes or 
to subjugate others or to do things like that, that maybe we said, no, we're not going to make that same mistake again. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the secret, which I think really was a kind of watershed moment in cinema, um, in the convergence of, of metaphysics and um, popular uh, movies. Um, in the, the decade or so, a bit more than a decade since that came out, have you seen a kind of shift in the level of awareness in within the storylines of movies that are bringing them more in line with what we would consider um, metaphysics or spirituality? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and particularly um, over the past year, in, there's been a lot of films that have come out that have been dealing with the idea of um, what exactly constitutes the nature of our reality? Uh, is it more than we perceive it to be? Um, it's also prompting people, or at least the characters in these films, to ask themselves things like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be me? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's causing people to become more introspective, I believe, in terms of uh, assessing how their reality comes about, what they want to do with it, what they want to do with themselves. And that's important because I think in, in terms of the greater evolution of us as a species, those are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves because it's, it, it's critical to us to come to understand that we're far more than what we've typically thought ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. So how do you see this being expressed can you give us some examples of actual movies that that you felt had particular messages to convey well i would say one that's out currently right now is the new blade runner sequel movie um, oh i'm i'm just waiting to see that yeah got in which, great in which, reviews yeah which you have characters who are both uh quote-unquote human and also quote-unquote artificial And yet in many ways, they all possess a certain form of consciousness. So in many ways, what's the distinction? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet there there are characters in the film who are continually trying to make the distinctions between the two. Um, And I think it's it's an eye-opening experience for uh, both parties to realize that um, it's not so much biology or technology that determines who or what we are, it's more what's on the inside. It's the consciousness that we possess and what we do with it in terms of the beliefs that we put out to create the reality that we experience. Right. How does uh, your latest book differ from the two that you already have out? Well, the, the first two books, uh, Get the Picture and Consciously Created Cinema, were both intended to serve as introductions to the conscious creation process. They provided a sort of roadmap for explaining the basic principles for how the process works and that what we can do to make it work. In Third Reel, I've kind of moved on to the next level now where I look at some principles that help to um, further nuance and um, embellish the concepts that were introduced in the first two books. 
in many ways, it's, uh, it's uh, helping readers to fine tune their conscious creation skills mm-hmm. so that they can make it more effective in their daily practices. Can you give us an example? Sure. Um, the, uh, the opening chapter in the book I titled Mirror, Mirror, uh, subtitled Reflections of Our Inner Selves. And what that chapter is really designed to do is to drive home the point that what we see before our eyes is really a direct reflection of what beliefs we're putting out. On the, and it's, um, it's something that I touched on to a certain degree in passing in the first two books. But in this case, I really wanted to emphasize it to say that what is out there is indeed going to be a direct reflection of what's coming from inside you to begin with. And when you get, I think, a better appreciation of that notion, uh, it helps to drive it home with um, greater emphasis and greater clarity. In your own metaphysical studies, have you experienced any phenomena that we would call supernatural or psychic? Uh, quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wild guess, shot in the dark. Yeah, Yeah, uh, certainly, um, as I've, as I've worked on, uh, developing my own abilities in this area, I've started having all kinds of experiences that are not exactly what you would call quote unquote normal for what maybe most people have typically experienced. Um, I sometimes have the ability to see auras, um, I have had a number of uh, psychic or intuitive predictive experiences. Uh, I've had um, dreams that have turned out to be prophetic in one way or another. And um, I don't really think that they're meant to be anything unusual. I think these are abilities that we all possess in one form or another, but most of us have just shut them off. And conscious creation, I believe, is desired is it designed to help us reconnect with those particular abilities and to see them as the tools that they are for helping to create um, beliefs that are more effective and consequently uh, to manifest a reality that's more in line with what we want to achieve. Is there any one or possibly more movies that you felt were particularly seminal or could be very helpful for people who are exploring their own um, otherworldly manifestations? Well, when it comes to uh, getting a a basic handle on the conscious creation process, um, two of the books that I mentioned in, I'm sorry, two of the movies that I mentioned in, in my first book, Get the Picture, are particularly helpful in that regard. One, as I mentioned, was The Secret, and another one uh, in somewhat a similar vein was What the Bleep Do We Know, which mm-hmm. came out a couple of years before The Secret. And both of them are really effective in terms of giving viewers both the theory and the application for understanding how this process works. And I, I, that's really I think the the general gist of what all three of my books have been designed to do is to give people the theory and the application. But those two movies in particular uh, combine both uh, both ideas in one film, and it's it's uh, crucial because this way 
you can have someone explain the theory to you and then see it play out in an app, you know, in a direct application form. And uh, that, that process of providing the example, I think is really crucial for helping to get viewers to understand how this process works. What the bleep do we know is actually filmed here in Portland, Oregon. And yes, I remember that. <laughs> I was the first person to review it. Really? I was, yes. Well, it was a wonderful film. Um, it was a real watershed. It, was, it really was. Yeah. Hey, I remember when it played here in Chicago, um, it was in the theater for months. And I mean, I was astounded by that. And who would have thought that a film like this would have that kind of staying mm -hmm. power? Yep. yep. But it was it literally in the theaters here for, I believe, about three or four months. Right. So what are some of the concepts that uh, your new book addresses that you would particularly like to point out? Well, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, the opening chapter, Mirror, Mirror, the one that uh, drives home the, uh, the notion that our outward reality is a direct reflection of our inner beliefs, that sort of serves as a springboard for all the concepts that follow from that. Um, another one that I move on to directly after that is a chapter titled Camouflage and Discernment, which basically is about the idea of learning how to look at our reality very incisively to see exactly how it's a reflection of our inner beliefs. And to do that, it involves stripping away what I call the camouflage, which is the things that may somewhat distort the image that we see before our eyes, uh, that may mislead us into thinking one thing that's not necessarily completely true. Um, and that using this power of discernment helps us to cut through the clutter in many ways. So is the clutter uh, other, internally generated or by society or both? Um, it's a lot of times I think it's ego driven. Mm -hmm. You know, we may end up um, having a particular goal that we want to achieve um, that gets clouded with say wishful thinking as opposed to genuine bona fide beliefs. And we might look at the situation and say, Oh yeah, this really means that when <laughs> that's not really at all what it's intended to do. Uh, it ends up giving us a somewhat distorted impression of what we're seeing, especially if it starts to morph in ways that uh, take us away from what we thought we were putting out in the first place. Um, for example, you might have a belief where uh, you want to achieve a particular goal, but it may also be tinged with the idea that, uh, and this is going to make me a lot of money. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably will, but I mean, which is your really, which is your primary intent in this? Do you want to achieve something that's noble and, and, um, and it represents an accomplishment or are you just concerned, concerned with, you know, the bottom line that comes out of it? Um, that may end up taking the, the creation and distorting it in a way that you might not be happy with. So that's where, uh, that's the kind of camouflage that can creep in and, and distort an image. And uh, this chapter is really about, again, using your power of discernment to cut through that. There are a lot of people. Uh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there are a lot of people who hold the opposite belief about money as well. You know, that either I am not worthy of it or money is the root of all evil. 
And, uh, you know, if I want to be a good spiritual person, I should not be concerned with money. So there's been a really a cottage industry of books that are trying to bridge that particular gap. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, if, if somebody is uh, trying to do good through their, their work, either with writings or lectures or things like that, but they don't feel that they should be earning an income in connection with it, um, they may ultimately be uh, failing in their efforts because, uh, let's face it, you still have to be able to support yourself and, and you know, <laughs> can make exactly. a living. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but as long as you do make them mutually exclusive, you may very well find yourself in a position where you're not achieving the success with it that you're hoped for. I think the point is that there has to be a higher goal in your life in order for you to really feel fulfilled. Otherwise, it's, it is very ego-driven and very shallow and ultimately not, um, not long-term satisfying. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and the thing is, if, if you're true to yourself in terms of the mission that you're attempting to carry out, um, the means to keep you afloat, to help you realize that goal, will appear. I mean, the mm -hmm. universe is not stupid when it comes to these things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it realizes that, yeah, if you want to achieve a particular goal, you've got to have a certain degree of support and backing behind it. So the means will come to you. But the thing is, if you make the means the focus... The Right. Yeah, if you make that the focus of what you're doing, well, then you might not get the kind of cooperation you're looking for because you're placing your emphasis in the wrong direction. I forget what it, where it came from, but I remember the phrase, don't mess with Mother Nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a particular chronology of the films featured in the book? Um, I would say that most of the films are from within roughly the last 30 years or so. Um, but there are some that go back further. Uh, for example, in the chapter that I write about um, uh, the powers in the, in the present moment, uh, one of the films I feature in there is the Frank Capra classic, You Can't Take It With You, which goes back oh, right. to 1938. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, again, this kind of illustrates the idea that that these concepts aren't necessarily brand new. They've been, they've been around for a while. They may not have been called by the terms conscious creation or law of attraction in those days, but the principles are nevertheless the same. Mm -hmm. um, and the power uh, is in the present is, a, is an important chapter in the book because it, it really says that it's the, only, it's the direct moment over which you have any control. I mean, you can't really control a past that's already come and gone, you can control a future that has not yet arrived. So what you're doing right now in this very moment is really what is crucial because that's going to determine what comes next. Um, and I like You Can't Take It With You as an example of that largely because it's filled with characters who live in the moment. Mm -hmm. They don't really care about what tomorrow is going to bring. They don't really care what happened in the past. They just are more concerned with living their lives in the now and getting the most out of it and enjoying it for what it is, which is actually, you know, when you think of the time that was made, it was 1938. Um, we were in the throes of a major depression at that point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to be, to be taking such a 
um, an attitude that many people would have seen as perhaps cavalier at the time was, was significant because it, it basically said things are going to work out. They're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to, as long as we keep living in the moment, enjoying ourselves and doing what we like, we'll, we'll be all right in the long run. Um, so it, it had, uh, had the effect of not only uh, helping to uh, convey these ideas about conscious creation, but it was also giving people hope for the future in many ways. Mm-hmm. What was that um, film about uh, the, the guy who uh, is in a, a small town? He was a banker and the bank fails and he, uh, it was dur- during the Depression and oh, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yes, right. that's another Frank Capra movie. Yeah, he, Frank Capra was a terrific director in terms of in terms of exploring these ideas way ahead of his time. That uh, that film was just a perennial favorite. I mean, you see it every year at Christmas. It just comes back, keeps on keeps on giving. It certainly does, and and it's interesting because when the movie first came out, it was a, it was a big flop at the box office. Really? <laughs> Which, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe that 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 movie didn't succeed, but uh, it's uh, something that um, you know grew on people over the years. Uh huh. Interesting. Are, are certain types of films better than others at illustrating conscious creation principles? Yeah, I would say that in in many ways, um, science fiction movies are really good at it because they basically operate from a, a premise of we're not going to let limitations get in the way of telling the story. And I think that's one of the things that's crucial for us to understand when we embrace conscious creation principles that there really aren't any limits. The only ones that we face are the ones that we place upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can get, you know, get out of our own way in some, in some cases, uh, we may find that we're able to achieve a lot more success and greater accomplishments than we ever thought possible. That's one of the um, one of the chapters that I've included in the new book, specifically about the idea of uh, overcoming limitations, which includes you know it includes movies like um, Cocoon and uh, <laughs> uh, the Theory of Everything about um, Stephen Hawking oh, and uh, uh, the uh, somewhat offbeat relationship movie from a couple of years ago, Her. So, you know, showing that, you know, there are other ways of doing things than you've typically been led to believe, but you have to be open to the idea in the first place. Right, right. Are, are there some films currently out now or, or recent films that you think are particularly worthy um, in examples of the conscious creation principles? Um. There was one that came out back in August, and unfortunately, it did not play terribly widely. It was a film called Brigsby Bear, which was about yeah, it it was a a independent film um, where it's about the uh, the experiences of a young man who's grown up somewhat in seclusion and is suddenly released into the wider world, and in many ways, he has trouble connecting with it. But in other ways, he also has ways of enlightening the wider world to some of the ideas that he had when he was in seclusion because he brought forth ideas that, you know, maybe other people would not have thought of exploring. Um, quite funny, quite touching. 
Uh, I really wish it had found a bigger audience than it did, um, but it's, it was described by one critic, I believe, as the best picture you'll never see, because <laughs> unfortunately it did not get terribly widely distributed. Huh. Is it available on Netflix? Uh, I believe it will be soon. Uh, it was in theaters back in August, so usually give like 60 to 90 days for these things to make their way to DVD and, and to the streaming services. So. Mm-hmm. It was called Brigsby Bear? Brigsby Bear. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know when you're on Reviewer's Roundtable, I keep a list of all of your recommendations because they're all good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, the, um, one of the movies that I profile in the new book is um, called Life Itself, which is a, a film biography of Roger Ebert. And in many ways, uh, Roger was sort of um, a big inspiration for me because one of the things that he did in all of his film criticism over the years was he expanded the, he leveled the playing field for a lot of filmmakers. Uh, he, would, he would feature reviews not only of the big budget blockbusters released by the major studios, but he would also review films by the little independent directors. Uh, and sort of give them the same degree of play as their bigger cousins. And that, I think, was significant because it helped to um, introduce a wider range of films to the viewing public. Uh, So he really, I think, did the movie-going public a a great service by by taking that practice. And I've tried to follow in his footsteps in that regard in terms of the movies that I review online and, and, and also in my books because when you look through the table of contents, you'll see a mixture of things that are, you know, big, well-known things, and then other movies that are, you've probably never heard of. For example, in the new book, you'll see reviews of, of classics like Citizen Kane and All About Eve, but then you'll also see reviews of little-known films like um, uh, The Nines or The Wisdom Tree. Um, basically, you know, putting them both side by side and, <clears throat> and saying, you know, these are all worthy of viewing because they all essentially are aimed at trying to accomplish the same kinds of goals. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So what do you think the future holds for conscious creation in the movies? Um, Well, I really, yeah, I think we are. I think the audience is really beginning to um, emerge for this. Um, There's always been a certain core audience of people who have been interested in these topics but I think you're going to see more of it as a gradual um, general awakening occurs within the population where people are beginning to examine some of these larger questions to a greater degree than maybe, maybe they have before. And that will become reflected in the kinds of movies that they want to see. And, and ultimately, as conscious creators themselves, they'll help to bring them into being. So <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. one hand is washing the other here. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a new website that just launched. Yes, what, I do. <laughs> <laughs> what is the URL? It's uh, brentmarchant.com. Easy to remember. <laughs> Easy to remember. And what do you do? Do you have uh, other, uh, do, do, you, do you have a newsletter? Do you post reviews there? What do you do there? Um, I have a blog that appears on the website. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I also um, I'm a contributor to a number of other websites. Um, uh, movie correspondent for the Good Radio Network, where I post written pieces to their website and also contribute monthly radio segments talking about current films. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, do review segments twice a month for a radio show called uh, The Cinema Scribe on projectbringmetolife.com. Do you focus um, just on, on spiritual cinema or just any kind of cin- show? Uh, primarily on spiritual cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, things that um, have either conscious creation or similar themes related to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I contribute to New Consciousness Reviews Reviewers Roundtable once a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, and the magazine. Hear me there. Right. <laughs> and the magazine, yes. Um, and I also uh, contribute reviews to a website called uh, Smart Women's Empowerment, which, again, explores uh, films that uh, feature uh, uplifting and empowering sorts of themes, uh, particularly films that feature strong female characters in them. You know, Brent, th- that reminds me, when you go to the movies, you have to sit through all of the previews of other films, and it, it's depressing to me how many of the movies seem to be just full of, of mindless violence with virtually no redeeming or uplifting qualities. And yet those are the ones that fill the cinema. Well, fortunately, it kind of depends upon which theater you go to also. <laughs> if, you go to, if, you, if you go to a theater that, that features the mainstream films, yes, that's what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there are a number of um, growing movie outlets out there that are focusing more on the more mature material. Uh, They feature the independent documentary, uh, the foreign films, the independent comedies and so forth. And when you go to see the trailers at those theaters, those are the only kinds of trailers that you'll see. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hoping that this is going to become more of a general trend or at least a, a wider trend than it's been. Um, so that you can see that there are other pictures out there that don't necessarily rely on violence and mindless comedy to get their points across. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Victoria and Abdul? Yes, I have. What Just do you think of last it? Week. I liked it a lot. Um, it was um, featured a, a couple of really wonderful performances by um, uh, Judy Dench and Ali Fazal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped to um, bring about or bring forth a number of um, spiritual topics that maybe would not have uh, readily seen the light of day in that kind of a uh, that kind of a historical film context. Um, <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure exactly how authentically historically accurate it is, but in terms of the uh, the story, it's very entertaining. It's very uplifting and enlightening. Um, really an, an, a couple of nice hours at the movies. Now that's interesting to get your perspective because we were looking at the crits online and it kind of marked it down saying it was primarily oriented at a, you had to be British to appreciate it. I mean, the fact that we are British helps, but, but um, it, it seems to me that it should have 
the themes of, of kindness and friendship should have much yeah. broader appeal. Yeah, I think that's, that was maybe the one thing that, that some critics were a little um, skeptical about, too, because, I mean, Victoria has a certain reputation for being rather staid and conservative, and the way she's portrayed here is somewhat more sensitive, more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not the things that you necessarily think of when you think of Victoria. <laughs> right. So um, that I think that's where uh, some of the people felt that maybe it was being um, kind of run through the filter of contemporary political correctness to a certain degree. Um, but as far as the the need for it to be, you know, for you need needing to be a uh, Anglophile in some ways to understand it, no, I don't really think that's really that important. I think things are explained pretty clearly enough in the course of the film that um, you're not left lost in terms of understanding Mm -hmm. what's going Mm -hmm. on with the story or anything like that. Mm. So what is your prognosis for spiritual cinema? Are you bullish? I think it has a good, yeah, I I think it has a good future. Um, I think as, as, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, the, the summer box office this year, uh, which is typically the time when films, when studios are releasing all of their, their big blockbuster adventures and there's, you know, high-tech spy, uh, sci-fi special effects wizardry features. Um, the box office didn't do very well. And to a certain degree, I think it's because viewers have begun to be a little bored with some of the same things over and over and over again. I think they want a little more. And I think that's going to open the door for movies that are more substantive in nature, particularly when it comes to things that address the big questions of life um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from a conscious creation standpoint and so forth. Um, I, I really think that there is a, a an emerging craving on the part of the movie going public to be introduced to something more substantive than what they've typically seen. And in that regard, I really think that, you know, the future is is looking bright. It might take a little while to get there, but I think it is growing. It's on the right path. And as long as we keep putting out the intent as moviegoers, keep seeing it, I think we'll end up seeing more of them. Well, from your lips to Hollywood's ear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if only they'd listen to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've said that to about politics and politicians too. Oh well. We could sort out the world, Brent. Well Well, movies are a great way to do it, so Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I do commend you and your books. Get the picture, consciously created cinema and now third reel. Conscious Creation Goes Back to the Movies by Brent Marchant. And you can find all about it at brentmarchant.com. Brent, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure, sir. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.